The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. I'm Nancy Allspot Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. And so grateful to be here this morning with my good friend Nancy. Uh, we've grateful got a great show for you guys. Grateful to be with you too, Shannon. Thank you. Uh, we've got a great show. We've got uh, a great guest. We're going to be talking about self determination. Okay. Uh, I want to know all about that because I still don't really know what exactly it, it entails and what it means. And I think there's a lot of confusion out there. Yeah, I was just going to say, I don't think you're the only one, which is why I'm so thrilled that that Mark is here to explain. Mark Altieri is going to be with us in a little while. And you know who recommended him and introduced us to him is Kathy Gott. Oh, okay. And so that's a that's a pretty uh, prestigious introdu- introduction. When Kathy yes, says, yes. I, I, have, I have somebody I think you should have on the show, we listen. Yeah. Um, so we're excited that Mark's going to be here, and and supposedly he's got the, all the information we need to know. We've done shows about uh, self determination in the past couple of years because there was a small rollout of self determination here in California that was getting ready for the big rollout, which uh-huh. supposedly is happening at the end of this month on July first. It's like statewide. Okay. So I'm excited. Like I've heard from some people who have been participating in self determination. Heard some great stories, heard some frustrating stories. So we're thrilled that Mark's going to really lay it out for us. If you're not in the state of California, you're like, what does this have to do with us? Just remember that California often does the pilot project that then the rest of the states and the rest of the world, in fact, look at and go, okay, wait a second, that's actually working and it's cost effective. And, you know, we've seen this happen with a lot of other things. So I definitely think it's of interest to uh, everybody around the world. Okay. But first we have news uh, and some of it's all science heavy. You know, I try to (laughs) heavy duty, Shannon, heavy duty. I know. And I try to put like something light in to help us out, to help us all get there. But it was all like, I thought it was all interesting this week. And I thought we should at least burrow our way in. Okay. Um, But let me say this. Yeah. Let me say this. Go, but briefly, briefly before we start, I want to remind everybody we're live right now. It is the 4th of June. Uh, I like to say that for the people who are like, I don't think they're live. Judy sees we're live. Hi, Judy. Judy just wrote it. <laughs> and, and that's exactly what we want you to do. Like Judy, we want you to write in if you're watching live. Say hi. We'll, we'll yell back out at you. Write in questions, um, you know, whatever it is that you want to put in there. Uh, we are live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on our homepage, autism-live.com. Right. We do record the show for a podcast, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. It's a free download. And we are the number one rated show for autism worldwide podcasts. So that's an amazing thing. But I just, hey, Parker. Hey, Nasser. Hi, hey, Witchy One. Witchy One. Witchy One. I like that. Um, but I also want to say to you that, um, we, we had taken a pause cause we've been running, we're still running kind of lean because of COVID, um, and weren't sending you the weekly, uh, who's going to be on the show, but we're going to be starting that back up in the next couple of weeks. And if you want to get that plus some other really incredible content that we're putting together and just giving to our subscriber list, if you go to our homepage, autism-live.com. If you're on there for more than seven seconds, one of those annoying pop-ups pops up. Um, And if you don't want to subscribe, you just click it and it goes away. But if you do want to subscribe, I want you to know that there is going to be a benefit you'll get 
the weekly viewer guide, plus some other really cool content. So autism-live.com, go there and uh, be one of our subscribers so that you can be, you can get the full 411 on what's happening. I'm told that's an old person phrase now, Nancy, 411. Oh, I, I use it still. Well, I do I just, too. No, but, just, no, but well, people still dial four one one, don't they, or do they go to the web? I apparently the the young folk uh, have been telling me that that is that is an old person phrase. Okay. So, <laughs> what do I know? Uh, and, and later I'll tell you where where I specifically heard this and then started asking people. But let's jump into the news, shall we? Okay. Yes, let's do your first scientific story that you pulled. The FDA has authorized marketing of a device that helps diagnose autism spectrum disorder. And it's called the Cognoa ASD Diagnosis Aid. That's a mouthful. It's a machine yes. learning-based software that will help health providers diagnose as well. Yes. And we had covered uh, one element of this before on the show, but this is putting together three separate elements that there is an app that caregivers go on and they answer questions and they also can upload video of their children to this app. Then there is a secondary component where it's specially trained people, trained by the manufacturer. So, but they're trained to be able to uh, take that data, um, compile it in a very specific way, run it through this very specific uh, um, algorithm that the manufacturers have put together, uh, which identifies certain risk factors. And then all of that data goes to um, a specialist, someone who is able to diagnose. But I, my understanding is that they're, they're never actually having to meet with the child. For those of you who had a child get diagnosed, you know, getting the appointment uh, and going through the appointment can be this really exhaustive thing. And sometimes it takes years it, it like makes me crazy that it is 2021 and we're still saying that the average age in the United States of someone getting a diagnosis is four and a half when we know that we can start diagnosing at 18 months. And if early intervention is the key, what's gumming up the works? And part of it is, is that it's just so time intensive and exhaustive to get someone referred to the specialist, make the appointment with the specialist. People have to drive to the specialist. Yeah. You know, it's all this scheduling nightmare. So this product seems to want to streamline all of that. So the parents answer the question, they upload video, it goes to the algorithm, goes to the expert, and their preliminary studies show that it's pretty effective. It's Very pretty accurate. Effective. Yeah. So got, Shannon, it's got an accurate ASD determination in 98.4% of patients uh, with the condition and 78.9 of patients without the condition. So there you go. And and one of the things, and we, we got this article uh, directly from the US Food and Drug Administration. Um, so if you wanna know more about it, you can go directly, you can look up uh, marketing of diagnostic aid for autism spectrum disorders and it'll you can read it yourself. But it does address that one of the concerns is that there is a small percentage possibility of getting a false positive uh, that your child might end up getting a diagnosis of ASD when, in fact, they may not actually qualify. But but I would venture that in that case, it's that the child had deficits, but maybe not enough deficits. So I, I look at this like reviews, Nancy. I always say to people, if you're doing anything and somebody's reviewing it, um, only look at the positive reviews and and don't listen to the negative reviews. So if your child gets a positive from this and gets access to services, I th think that's a plus. That's there is a smaller percentage of people who could get a false negative. So where the, where the system says your child doesn't have ASD, but later on it's revealed that your child does have enough deficits. We all know about that. Right. Uh, been there, done that. Yeah. Um, right. But um, I sorry. I've, I've been there. Yeah. So I would say, um, you know, this is something they're going to start marketing it now. I think it's something for people to investigate and tell people about. 
if you end up using it and you get a positive and it opens doors for you to help and support to help your child, uh, fantastic. If you get a negative and you don't trust it, do what we've always told you to do, which is go to another source. Keep going until you feel that your gut is satisfied that right. your child does or does not have this diagnosis. So a pretty interesting thing, I thought. I think it's very interesting. So we'll see how widespread the usage of that ends up being once they start marketing it. Yes. Here we have another uh, hello from Lubna Resquil. We, I, I think I botched your name, Lubna. Well, hello. <laughs> uh, we're so glad that everybody is here. Uh, okay. Uh, thank you for watching us live. And uh, then moving on to our next story, Nancy, uh, I have the brain activity patterns for girls. Is that what you I have? I do next? too. That brain activity may, patterns may distinguish girls with autism from boys. This is, um, where you, where'd you find this, Shannon? This is from Spectrum. Um, and we, we certainly love Spectrum. It's a great place where we go for, to get a lot of our news um, you guys can subscribe and um, you, you can also get a lot of free articles from them, but they're pretty on top of things having to do with the autism spectrum. So they did not pay the, me to say that. <laughs> yeah. And the layman's uh, explanation of this article is that autistic and non-autistic girls' brains differ in activity in a way that autistic and non-autistic boys' brains do not. And that's from a new study that looks at gene expression. Yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting. I think it's a good read. It's dense. I'm going to warn everybody that there's a lot of scientific things to wade through that I, I'm not going to pretend that I understand all of it. But, you know, we see, if anybody watches Grey's Anatomy, um, I'm going to relate it back to an episode that was just a couple of weeks ago on Grey's Anatomy that there, there was a young girl who uh, had to have brain surgery and she wasn't, she wasn't coming out of her coma in her brain surgery. And, um, and they were doing a scan of her brain while two employees were talking about something. And somebody played, their, their phone rang for just a second and music played and parts of the girl's brain lit up in the brain scan. And it became this interesting thing where they were able to teach the girl in her coma, you know, if we, if we want you to say yes, we want you to think about music and this part of your brain will light up. And if we want you to say no, we want you to think about your bedroom and this part of your brain will light up. And in that way, they could communicate with her even while she was in her coma. And I find that very fascinating um, because we've we've been looking for a long time here in the autism community at the, where the brain lights up differently for people who are on the autism spectrum. I remember right when Jem was diagnosed, an article came out, I think it was in Scientific America. I still have the magazine somewhere, but it was an article about mirror neurons lighting up in the brain differently for people who are on the autism spectrum. That when you and I watch the Olympics and we see the ice skater, the part of our brain that if we were ice skating, lights up when we see somebody else do it. But for people on the autism spectrum, it does not. And that led to a whole bunch of research on video games and how to use avatars to teach our kids' brains how to light up their mirror neurons so that they can learn things physically. So now that we're looking at the difference between um, not only how do people on the autism uh, spectrum, how do their brains light up specifically in movement things, um, but now we're looking at the difference between does a boy on the spectrum's brain light up differently than a girl's spectrum on the brain and no big surprise, they light up differently. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, long explanation for that big duh, but I think the the bigger thing is one of the reasons why they think that is. Um, and they do think that girls have a some sort of hormonal protection that um, can work in their favor to protect them from having the gene expression that leads to autism-like traits. But the other thing that they discovered that I don't completely understand is uh, I want to find what the 
what the actual word is in the article because there is there is a strand of things and and for girls it is much bigger do you know what are i'm talking typing, about Nancy? are you talking about the copy number variations the c that's it yes which is and that for, that's duplications they found that the size of the c and v's copy number variations uh duplications or deletions of stretches of a chromosome the larger the c and v the more genetic elements are being disrupted more genes so so I don't completely understand that, but I understand that in girls, it's different. And it's not just a little different, it's a lot different. And, and that that is something that they've got to study further. That's what I got from it. That's what I got from it too. And it said the, the result bolsters the theory of the female protective effect, which suggests that girls require bigger genetic hits than boys do to show traits of the condition. Which in and of itself is interesting because it's not saying that they're not on the spectrum, it's saying that they're not expressing it in the same way right. that we right. are diagnosing it. So um, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. Anytime we see something that's significantly different, it's like another part of the puzzle. And somebody's gonna put the puzzle together and figure out exactly what's going on and that will be a great day and speaking of figuring out what's going on here i think this was the most interesting article our last article is about oh get ready because like strap in for this one it's about molecules and saliva and that apparently for kiddos that are on the autism spectrum they can find specific rna molecules now, we've been hearing a lot about RNA, so let me just say this. RNA is not DNA. That's a really important distinction. DNA is those two strands of chromosome, and RNA is one strand. Um, and they apparently do not interact with each other. And, and here's the other thing that I know from research this morning is that DNA is alkaline stable and RNA is not. What so, does that mean, alkaline well, stable? It, well, I'm not 100% sure, but I will say that what I understand from it is, is that when they took saliva samples from kiddos who were not on the spectrum and kiddos that were on the spectrum, they found different RNA, like across the board, which is significant, right? Right. But then they tested the kids over time. And here's the magic trick. This is like biological right? That there is a difference in the saliva and there's an RNA present for the kids on the spectrum that is not there for kids not on the spectrum, which is interesting. But then they gave um, intensive behavioral intervention to some of the kids on the spectrum and retested their saliva. And for the kids who got the ADA, their saliva, we're talking about a behavioral intervention and their saliva was different and was more like the kiddos who weren't on the spectrum that that RNA was either not as, as present or not present. Right, so very so, encouraging results for, in terms of ABA therapy, intensive early ABA therapy, because we see, we're seeing the difference physiologically. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you know, there've been a lot of studies that have wanted to look at, here's what the brain looks like and here how, here's how it lights up. And then we teach the brain something and it lights up different. Like, I think we understand that. And that ABA, you have ABA and your brain lights up differently in different ways because you've learned. Just like if, I, if, if we taught you skiing, your brain would light up in a different way because it's your brain, right? But right. saliva, doing something behaviorally to learn something changes RNA in your saliva. This... Um, is fascinating to me. And I, I, I want to understand, because that seems like a magic trick to me, and I want to know more about it. But they're saying that it could be a predictor of kids making progress, um, which could help to get insurance to continue funding ABA, mm -hmm. I'm guessing. Um, but I, I just want to say that um, this article... Oddly enough, 
we found in Yahoo Finance. Mm, I know, that's an odd place for it. Well, ask yourself why, why it would be in finance. Um, because ABA and insurance is this ginormous uh, financial situation. Right. Um, that is costing insurance a lot, costing parents a lot. And if this can move that dial, um, it's of interest to people in the financial world. I also want to say that the, the study um, is coming out from researchers in SUNY Upstate Medical University, Penn State Medical University, and Quadrant Biosciences. Um, so, and I, and I also want to say, if you think, wow, I've been hearing the word RNA a lot lately, where have I been hearing that? I also want to point out that um, some of the vaccines that are being given right now for COVID, right. that those are mRNA, which means right. that they are messenger RNA, that they are, what they're doing is injecting people with RNA that has a messenger to go do something. Right. So my question becomes, Nancy, if the, if doing ABA can change the RNA, like, what does what does that mean on both sides of the equation? Does it mean that we can do something behaviorally to change the RNA? It seems like we could. Mm-hmm. And it, can someone be given an injection with a messenger RNA that changes the RNA of people who are on the autism spectrum? That's an interesting uh, question, Shannon. Isn't that? Yes. Um, so... Um, and, and what the effects are of that. So right. I think it poses more questions than I have answers for. It hurts my head a little, um, but I find it very interesting. I was like, that, yeah. that is, an, I, I, I'm going to tell a story that's just wrong. I don't even know why I'm telling this story. But I remember saying to my pediatrician, um, I was like, I don't understand this. I ingested eggplant and then I breastfed my child. And I'm not kidding you, my, my child... I checked his diaper the next day and there were eggplant seeds in it. And I said, I don't understand because I ingested it. I clearly did not have eggplant seeds come out of, of my body into uh-huh. my child. Uh-huh. And how did he, how did he poo them? And my doctor was like, that's a magic trick. I don't think that happened. I don't. <laughs> uh, so what's the explanation for it? There was no explanation. My doctor said, I don't see how that could have happened. And I was like, I know what an eggplant seed looks like. Right. I know that my baby did not ingest eggplant. I know that I did. How did that happen? And that's what this reminds me of. This is totally what this reminds me of. Hey, I'm saying hello to Carrie Butler Morgan, who is one of my favorite people Hi, on Carrie. the face of the planet. Can I just say that Carrie is the person that uh, my child becomes 18 tomorrow but Carrie is the person that we always said, if anything happened to us, she would be responsible for figuring out who took care of our child and, and negotiating, like being the fair person who made the decisions, not the person who had to take care of him, um, but that she would be our person in charge. And she's watching today. And I, and I adore her. So anyway, um, we've got a great guest. That's our news for today. But we have this great guest who's going to be joining us, as we said, referred to us by Kathy Gott. That's a pretty impressive uh, credential right there. I have been slaughtering his name all week long. uh, So we're going to welcome him in here and have him say his name before I slaughter it again. But he's going to be talking with us about a really important concept here in Los Angeles. Nancy, you said you want to know everything there is about it. I want to know everything there is about it. We're talking about self-determination. Mark Altieri is the person to tell us. He's got over a decade experience in managing self-directed long-term care service models that maximize individuals' choice and control over their services. Um, He earned his master's of business administration from Brandeis University's Heller School of Social Policy and Management. And he works with a financial management service provider, Public Partnerships for California's Self-Determination Program that will be available, as you said, Shannon, July 1st. So uh, we're gonna turn to him, to Mark, to unravel the SDP program. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Good Mark. morning, Mark. And now Nancy said it and it sounded great. Did she get it right? 
She got it better than I had it at 16 years old. Hi. I'm just going to leave it alone. That was okay. perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, go Nancy. I, I have called you everything under the sun as we've teased this show all this week. And I apologize to you and your family and your ancestors. <laughs> Perfect. No, no, no. And wow, I've gotten smarter in the last 20 minutes sitting on the phone. And someone, I guess, Carrie used the word fascinating. And it is fascinating. You've taken a, a yeah, in a few very interesting directions. And the medical, the saliva piece, and, and the eggplant story, <laughs> and the power of breastfeeding from, from someone, uh, our, our son's special ability, if you will, is he had a heart transplant at, oh. at one and a half, and he's oh. 15 now. And so I can fully appreciate the, the power of the medical field and the science field and these breakthroughs um have changed his life already in a number of ways so i love that you i mean you've covered a number of interesting topics but now i have to go do more reading <laughs> don't we all but we're we're thrilled to hear about your 15 year old son what an amazing journey oh my gosh i have so many questions about that but we have teased that we are going to talk about yes. self-determination yeah. today and for a lot of people, this kind of hurts our head too. So yep. why don't we start right at the beginning and have you explain to our viewers what self-determination is? Sure, sure, sure. So I think uh, the, the first thing I want to say is while the self-determination program in California is unique and wonderful, and we will talk about the reasons why, the concept of self-determination uh, as, as maybe some of your listeners knows, goes back to the 70s, actually the 60s, and a gentleman named Ed Roberts, uh, who was a Berkeley School graduate and fought for, for disability rights uh, within California and then nationally. And you are the Mecca uh, of, of self-determination. California started on the Berkeley campus Ed and, and his group of students started the first what's called Center for Independent Living in the country, and it absolutely drove the American with Disabilities Act that got passed in 1990. And you all also have the largest, and nationally it's called self-direction, but uh, in California, self-determination. You already have the largest program in the country through the in-home supports and services program. A lot of people know it as IHSS. And so to give you a little perspective and kind of tease up the power of this new self-determination program in California, there's about 650 thousand people that self-direct or self-determine their services on IHSS. Your next closest state is about 20,000 people. Uh, that's the magnitude. So when we shift gears to a very different model, and the self-determination program, to be clear, is a very different model from IHSS, but it is not... Um, I feel like some people are concerned, is this is this California and DDS going rogue in some way? Are we, you're doing something better than, frankly, I've seen it done anywhere in the country. And, and I'll explain why I think that is in a few minutes. Uh, but it it's not so novel that people should be afraid of it or, or think that this model is a flash in the pan and will fade. It is not. Uh, there are programs in all 50 states they go by different names, but they have the same core principle, which is giving individuals and their families the most choice and control over their services. So California took a very prudent approach to developing the SDP, and it started over 20 years ago with a pilot. <clears throat> and they assessed every aspect of it from quality of life to the, the cost neutrality of it, to uh, a, adoption of the model based on how many people were offered versus how many people were, were selected. And so on July 1st, three, and, and so this is the novel piece about California. You're the only state that I am aware of uh, that on July 1st, all 350,000-ish 
individuals that are currently receiving services through one of the 21 regional centers across California can, and I'll explain, it's not really a program. They call it SDP in the Self-Determination Program, but I'd prefer people to think about it as it's a service delivery model. It is a choice to take that individual budget that a regional center uh, gives and, and takes a look at every 12 months and does a, a fresh needs assessment, but you're, you're taking that budget and I am giving it to Shannon and I am giving it to Nancy in a very direct way with an understanding that you know best. You know best um, whether it's for yourself or for a child or any loved one, uh, best about the types of services that would truly benefit them, about who delivers those services. And so getting to my son quickly, he needed a lot of services when he was very ill. I, I didn't get along with all those service providers, but I had no choice. And it was a very personal matter. Um, and when your son's getting physical therapy post heart transplant, I wanted the right match for our family, as did my wife. And we were limited to the the available physical therapist. But had we known another one who was interested, a program like the self-determination program allows me that choice and control over picking not just non-vendored. So right now in your traditional service delivery model in California, if you wanna get services through a provider, they need to be vendored with a regional center. That's going away with the self-determination program. Stop and think about that. That is incredible on a few levels. Let me let me just stop for a minute because I talk too much and I don't want to talk and talk and talk and talk. But if you want me to pause and, and ask any questions, please. Is that um, the major difference between SDP and the way that people are currently serviced by regional center? Yes, the major the major difference with a self-determination program model is you are now in control of how your individual budget is spent from the types of services through who provides them. And that is the big breakthrough. So for instance, uh, the power of this model during COVID-19, uh, in a tradition, what we saw in COVID-19 was if Mark is getting services, uh, service providers that are coming into his home from a traditional agency, what was happening in those agencies where their staff were getting ill from COVID-19. They were short-staffed. Uh, they didn't have the capacity to send their staff into people's homes um, to provide any types of so physical therapy, occupational. It, of course, it crippled our country for a period of time. What the, the self-determination programs across the country afforded individuals to do is I, if, if Shannon and I are good friends and maybe Shannon and I live across the street from one another and Shannon knows my son uh, since he was five years old and I can't get an agency provider to come into the home, I can't get an occupational therapist in the home, I had the autonomy to hire Shannon and Shannon could have come over and I know that Shannon was being COVID safe and Shannon knew that I was being COVID safe and many, many, many thousands of people benefited during COVID through a model like this where I have the choice and control over who I want to hire and bring into the home to provide any range of 60 services in the self-determination program and that is powerful. That was a powerful way to combat COVID. Go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, I have about a bunch of questions here. I sure. want to start with if I currently have IHSS, does something automatically change on July 1st? Or do I have no. a choice about choosing which one I want to go with? Or do I get to have both if I want them? Yeah, my understanding is both. So IHSS is on your your uh, Medi-Cal, right? That is, that is Medi-Cal. And services through DDS are an entitlement 
uh, as you know, and the funding at the end of the day, of course, long-term long care of any kind at the end of the day always hits Medicaid, but I have read nothing or heard nothing. So I, I could be wrong, but I've not heard anything that would prohibit you from continuing to get your IHSS services, which are really a different ball of wax from the SDP program. And that, you know, that goes on in states like New Jersey, New York, that's not an entirely foreign concept. Okay. And then my next question is, in order, like you said, I get to decide where I want to spend the money, if it's best for me or for my child or whatever, but I can't just go buy a pair of shoes with it, right? I have to spend it on something that's an agreed, like, and you were using the example of having me across the street, but I would have to have fill out paperwork and justify that I know what I'm doing, right? I can't just hire my neighbor, or can I? Correct. Correct. So, um, great question. Uh, with the model, I, I think about it as, as three steps for the self-determination program. Step number one is having a good person-centered plan. It, it's not required, but you two know it is. I mean, it really is such a great thing to have. Uh, it is a great exercise to go through with a circle of support, have a person-centered plan. The person-centered plan set, sets the goals and the current individual budget through a regional center helps to support that person-centered plan. But with the self-determination program, to your point, Shannon, uh, if my needs are assessed and we put a $40,000 a year uh, tag on that, uh, we looked at all your needs, Mark, it's $40,000. So SDP, the self-determination program, would say, Mark, you are now in control of those $40,000 to a degree. And to Shannon's point, um, it does not mean that every unmet need ever will get filled. It doesn't mean that um, you can go buy shoes or, or clothes or, you know, you're free to spend the money. But the self-determination program has, I think it's 55 different services that range from an environmental accessibility adaptation. So if you needed a, a ramp put on the house, uh, that is permissible. Uh, things like behavioral intervention are still allowable, physical therapy, massage therapy, but that needs to come together in what's called a spending plan, appropriately named. What's Shannon got a budget. Again, Mark? I'm sorry, I missed that. What's the name sure. of that pen? It's a spending plan. A spending plan. Yep, and appropriately named, right? So we moved from a person-centered plan with goals to a dollar amount in the form of that individual budget. But to Shannon's great question, you have to show how that money is going to be spent within some framework. of And, and again, there's a 55 different services you put that together in a spending plan and you're gonna work with your regional center service coordinator to look over that spending plan and make sure that it, all the goods and services that might be included. So uh, one, one popular good, if you will, cause I feel like when I use that term good, it's like, what do you mean goods and services? Uh, a good could be the Proloquo 2 app, right? A wonderful app. Not cheap, not not something, but very powerful app that a lot of people have benefited greatly from. You could get Proloquo too through SDP funds, and that would be totally consistent with a person-centered plan goal, I am sure. As long as you have it documented in the spending plan, someone can see it uh, on the regional center side and say, yes, this is all still a prudent way to spend. Now you go forth, uh, Shannon, and you find the service providers uh, to help you provide those services. But absolutely, it's called um, <clears throat> an IPP. Uh, and Which you guys, we have, yeah, we you have those currently. That's yeah. different from what we currently have. We yep. have an IPP with our, my son has an IPP through Regional Center that yep. his coordinator and I determine every year, correct? Correct. So those are the three, you know, that it's really that that budget and then working with someone to create a spending plan. And so that someone 
has a couple new roles in it, uh, or one very critical new role, which is called an independent facilitator. You don't have to have one. You don't have to have one written into your uh, spending plan, but they're very they're very useful. Um, they they and go ahead, Shannon. Again, I talk too much, so I'm trying to read. No, no, your you're list. good. Do you have I'm, a question? I, just, I have some. Questions. I just want to okay. say I'm glad you're bringing this part up because I think some people who are very controlling are like, woohoo! I've always wanted to have control of this money because I know what I want to spend the money on. But there are other people who are probably panicking and going, I wouldn't know what to do with the $40,000, nor am I good at like, that just seems like more paperwork. So I want to make sure that they understand that you have the potential to have part of your money spent to have somebody coordinate this for you. Is that correct? Correct. To, yeah, just to provide that added layer of support. So, so it could be help developing that spending plan. Now, a regional center service coordinator can also uh, provide that help. And what our company, Public Partnerships, does, where we're called a financial management service provider, we're the only provider type, not public partnerships is the only FMS, do not get me wrong, but that FMS is the only provider type that you must have if, if you choose SDP, because we make the payments. We make the payments to the agencies. No one wants to get involved in, in that piece of it. So it, it's not that we're so cool and important, but we, we are necessary from, from the financial aspect of, of that. And that's the only provider necessary. But independent facilitators, they're community-based. They're local. They're growing in number into the hundreds. They know the service providers that are available. They know their community resources better. Um, a financial management service could help, and we'll, we'll always try to help, but independent facilitators in the community served know the resources best and end up getting you to the most informed spending plan with, with the most proven providers to support you in that plan. Where does one find these independent facilitators, Mark? Funny you should ask. So um, the wonderful Kathy Gott's name came up. So right right now today, you can generally go on a, a regional center's website and you might find a listing of them. Uh, you can attend each regional center each month has a local advisory group meeting, uh, usually late afternoon, early evenings on the self-determination program. Many times that I've joined those meetings, it ranges from the actual uh, people that have, are participating on the committee, and then it's open to the public. So you'll have independent facilitators that join those to say, hey, you know, I'm an independent facilitator in the chat if anybody wants to contact me. Uh, but there's no centralized can I go to a website and do a search of the state for independent facilitators? And maybe could I modify my state because I'm in the Golden Gate region and I just want independent facilitators up there. That is how the wonderful Kathy got and I met and um, are now working together on a site that is is basically done. We're, we're just putting a bow on it, but it is called the California SDP Network. And it is for independent facilitators and traditional and non-traditional service providers to set up almost Yelp-like profiles. Um, and families can go on and search on everything from equestrian therapy to yoga to independent facilitators. And it will grow in power uh, the more Kathy and I can pump out the word to independent facilitators and service providers to create profiles. But you know, you know, Kathy got, there's no one better um, at, at marketing and spreading the word about something like this. So it, uh, it is going live, live next week. And we'll use the month of June to put on uh, a campaign to get it filled with as many providers as possible prior to, so I, I should have mentioned at the top, July 1st is the day that everyone in California that currently gets services through a regional center can, let's call it, can take control of their budget if they want to. Uh, and Shannon, you made another great comment about 
I don't know that this is for everybody. Uh, you know, it's not, you know, it sounds great, but it does definitely sounds like there's some more administrative. It is. It is like Mama used to say, right? With more choice and control comes more responsibility. There is responsibility. You you have to now uh, be mindful of your spending over that twelve months on the services. Yes, you do a spending plan. You can deviate from it to some degree. I would not recommend deviating it from it in in large degrees because you could find yourself mismanaging the budget and running out of dollars before the end of the plan year. So nationally, who does who does it end up being right for this whole model of self-determination? Probably two out of every 10 people, but two out of every 10 in California, 350,000 people. So the next biggest program is good old New York, who thinks, right? New Yorkers, we're the best at everything. Their program is 20,000 people. California will dwarf that um, in in what, uh, a five years? Maybe six years, you could get up to 60,000, 70,000 people in the state that choose if just two out of every 10. That is why for somebody that's worked in, in the field for, for a few years, like myself, I, I'm just super happy to be part of it um, because no state has done it at this scale with this amount of flexibility. And, and we should talk, we'll talk about the models within the model. Um, time permitting, but I, I'll stop for a minute there. Mark, this resource list, is that going to be sort of a one-stop shopping? This website? Yeah, the website. The I website. hope so. I mean, I really hope for at least to try to find an independent facilitator or a, a service provider. It should be your one-stop shop. Is the website, It's. I know it's not officially launching, but is. can you give us the address for it so that people can go and, and like bookmark it at this point? Yeah, yeah. Um, is the best way to do that, put it in the chat? Uh, you can tell us and Traven will put it up on the screen. Okay, we'll yeah, it no, it's not too. difficult. It's, um, you know, the good old www. And it's called the CA sdpnetwork.org so the california sdp network but the casdpnetwork.org but i disclaimer okay. is uh if you go on it right now hopefully it it looks um it looks quite impressive what 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 we don't have though is more than maybe 20 independent facilitators and probably five mm -hmm. or six service providers but just watch <laughs> over okay. the next few weeks. I think it's going to take off in volume and we will not stop. But let's talk about the next couple of weeks, because if this is launching on July 1st, then families want to be looking at this right now and seeing, is this something I'm more interested or not uh, interested in? Um, if they say, I want to do this, I have a 21 year old son who you know, we have more things that we'd like to do. He said yoga. He said equestrian. I could get funding for that. I want to do that. What do they have to do on July 1st? Are they automatically entered or do they have to apply? Great, great question. Uh, so the, the first thing you want to do is contact your service coordinator at the regional center. Uh, be, because the first thing you need to do is express the interest in SDP and then the regional center's got to complete that 12 month look back um, to a, arrive at a certified budget. And that that's how you start. And it's that, you know, you talk to your regional center service coordinator and, and they will start a budget certification. Uh, that's the time that you have the discussion about unmet needs. I fully understand and I hope everyone understands the regional centers over the past 18 months had a boat, from my standpoint, as rough a go as it gets in, in the social service network. Uh, you Dealing with COVID-19 uh, was brutally hard emotionally. I think people, we all went through a lot emotionally, but one, I, I do believe uh, issue that it created was, as you know, you look back 12 months on spending, 
Imagine you have a global pandemic where you literally couldn't get services from providers. Now we come up on 12 months. I only spent 25 of my 40,000, but there were a lot of reasons why. Uh, but that gets wound up into every year. There's a conversation about unmet needs. And so, <clears throat> you know, I think the regional centers uh, did a tremendous service to the state. Uh, I think they've been through a tough stretch trying to do that look back period over the 12 months. We're getting it all behind us. Um, and, and so I think that that process of looking at budgets and getting them certified quicker um, starts to kick in now in advance of 7-1. And so once you get your budget certified, the regional center service coordinator is gonna say, you know, who's helping you with the spending plan and they'll go through those resources. The service coordinator might be able to help themselves. They, they might say, you know, we have some great independent facilitators in the community that could really help you develop the best spending plan possible based on your PCP. And, and they will also tell you uh, that you must find one of these financial management service providers. Again, you'll be able to go to that centralized website, Kathy and I, worked on together. You can go to the DDS website for a listing of those FMSs. But again, you might uh, kind of be overwhelmed, right? An FMS, what acronyms again? Like so many acronyms in this field, right? So SDP and FMSs and IFs for short for independent facilitators and PCPs for person-centered plans. That's where the independent facilitator can come into play. They know all the nomenclature and they know where to start and where to look. And probably they'll have opinions on FMSs and they can be that that guide through getting you fully up and running with services being delivered. Okay. It's it's a lot to take in, but I but I want to go back to something that you said that there's the model within the model. So start to describe yes. for us what this might look like for people who participate. Yes. No. Thank you. Wow, you guys are good at this. Do you do this for like a podcast or so? Are you professional? <laughs> uh, I don't know how people that run podcasts are so smooth and quick thinking on their feet to be able to lead a discussion in a coherent way with a guy like me who will just go on and on and on. So yes, the models within the model. So some states decide to offer just one of these three models I'll describe, but this is why I love California. This is, this is as full throttle self-determination as you can get. So once you go to your regional center service coordinator, and say, I, I'd like to enroll in SDP, I guess is the way you'd phrase it. Again, it's not technically a program. It's really, I want more choice and control over that individual budget. Um, there, You're gonna have to sort out based on your life circumstance, the individual's needs, one of these three models. So I don't think, it, Model number one, I was gonna, it's not really the base model, but model number one is called bill payer. And bill payer is for individuals that don't need Mark Eltieri, uh, a staff member to come pick them up and, and maybe do community integration activities, taking you into the community, or you don't need Mark Eltieri to provide respite in your household. I would call any of those direct hands-on employees, more supports, and let's keep that over here from services are things like the equestrian therapy, uh, a community class, an assistive technology uh, like Proloquo 2. If that's all your current budget is really focused on is, is some of those types of services, then bill payer would be the model for you. Uh, it's the cheapest of the three models. So cheapest, what do you mean? It means, so the FMS companies, these financial management service companies like public partnerships, we do get a monthly fee for making payments, filing taxes. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so bill payer is not all that involved. You're really, you're processing really like invoices for different, again, the Proloquo app or maybe a gym membership. Uh, but there's no employees involved of any kind. And so that's one option. 
Option number two is called sole employer. So sole employer is probably the, the, the most prevalent model in the country. And this one, I think, makes people anxious when they first hear about it, but they shouldn't be. So sole employer is Shannon wants to take on the responsibility of being an employer. And, and by that, I mean the financial management service company will help Shannon get what's called an employer identification number. Now, any company has an employer identification number. This employer identification number will just be for what's called a household employer. You can't take this employer identification number and then open Shannon's hardware store with it and, and be doing this SDP. It's just for these purposes. Uh, the FMS is there to help you complete a couple of, they're intimidating looking IRS forms. They're really harmless though. One of them, while it, it's very busy, is an SS4. It's all pre-populated. We review what the form is. You sign it. That allows us to get this unique employer identification number. And then you're going to sign one other, again, somewhat intimidating tax form. But it, it's called the 2678. And all it's doing is Shannon saying, I don't want to do all this payroll business that I'm about to tell you to about. But I'll appoint this company to do it on my behalf. And frankly, if anything goes wrong, it's gonna be on, on I'm coming after them uh, because I am entrusting them to do what? To not only maybe make payments for Proloquo pro apps and gym memberships, but also Shannon wants to hire Nancy to provide some respite for the family. And she wants control over who those respite workers are. And if they're not working out, she wants control of letting them go. And also she feels like in her former life, she was a great supervisor and manager. She's just very comfortable managing people. And, and if she chooses that model, there's, this gets a little technical, but I'll do my best. Uh, Shannon decides she wants to pay Nancy $25 an hour for those respite services. Any employer, whether it's Walmart or Apple Computer, doesn't matter, pays what are called employer taxes. Uh, you pay employer taxes into the state unemployment tax pool, the federal unemployment tax pool, and you have to match your employees' contributions to Social Security and Medicare. You have to. And so even in this model, when Shannon decides, I want to be the employer, I want this employer identification number behind me, I want maximum choice and control, then when she pays Nancy the $25, that gets marked up to cover the employer taxes. And then any FMS also offers Shannon a worker's comp and employer liability insurance policy for about another 5%. And you put that together and it's about 16, 17% markup on that $25 uh, to cover employer taxes and a worker's comp policy. So you can, you can see that right out of the gate with this SDP model and I'm controlling the budget, I'm gonna think of long and hard about how much I wanna pay Nancy knowing that what I pay her is less than what comes off the individual budget, which is getting marked up for some employer taxes. Uh, but that's a choice a lot of people are, are willing and able to make. And that's the sole employer model. And then there's a co-employer model, which is Shannon saying, I, I don't want that employer identification number piece. Um, it's just too much with what we have going on in life. I would still like an agency to actually be the employer. Uh, where does that prove very critical? So I've seen questions about what will you do in a weekend emergency? So in the sole employer, I'm going to define an emergency is Shannon's respite worker doesn't show up on the weekend. In sole employer, it is still Shannon's responsibility to find a generic resource to fill in that day. In a co-employer model, it would fall on 
the agency that is the co-employer, which will be one of these, I think we're up to 12 now, financial management service companies in California. So you can appoint, they will essentially remain the employer, but they will still, if Shannon wants to hire Nancy, I'm not gonna put words in everyone's mouths, but I would say uh, almost any FMS is going to say, that's fine, you can hire Nancy, but Nancy's technically their employee, not Shannon's. And the piece uh, that is worth considering is when Shannon says, I, I wanna pay Nancy $25 an hour. Well, now Nancy's also getting some benefits from that agency. So it's not just now employer taxes and maybe some workers comp markup, now it's probably gonna be some benefits markup too. And so you, at the end of the day, are spending more on the, the, the provision of the services, you'll get less hours of direct service in that model, but it's not a, it's not a bad model. It really is life circumstance. Does Shannon have enough time to review respite workers' timesheets and make sure everybody's logging the right hours or not? Or would she just rather leave that to a financial management service provider to manage and watch. Does Shannon think she has a, a broad enough circle of support that if she has two respite workers on staff, for instance, and, and one calls out, well, I have Aunt Susan who lives three minutes away, who's always there for us in a pinch. Um, and then furthermore, maybe in the sole employer model, Shannon's hiring Nancy because they are lifelong friends she trusts her inherently. Nancy knows her children inherently. And really, Nancy actually doesn't really need the benefits. She does it out of love, but could use some, some extra income, um, but she just doesn't need the benefits. Then, then maybe sole employer is great because now you already have this employee who's not looking for the benefits. And so you can actually get more services because you're spending less off your budget because you're not paying for that chunk of additional admin overhead, if you will, in the co-employer model. So that's okay. an earful. That's an earful. <laughs> that is an earful. And unfortunately, we're out of time. But before yeah, we yeah, go, yeah. before we go, I just want you to tell us, Mark, because obviously the one piece of this that you've said to us that we have to have in place, we're not just going to give you the money and you write the checks. We have to have the financial management services, correct? Correct. That's a, that's a non-starter. It's got to be there. We have to pick one of those if we're going to do that. And your company is one of those, correct? We are. Public partnerships. Public we are. Partnership. Okay. So we want, and what is your website if people want to know more about what you guys do? Yep. That's www.publicpartnerships, just as it sounds, .com. I think we have a wonderful website with some incredible videos of how this model can literally change lives. Okay. It's a lot to take in and I want to encourage everybody to take a breath. Nobody's telling you you have to do anything today. There is a potential here for you to have more. If you've been laying awake at night going, I just wish somebody would listen to me because if we could just do this, this is an opportunity for you to drive more of the bus than before. That doesn't mean you have to. So I just want to put my arms around everybody and go, if this is hurting your head a little bit, you're okay. <laughs> right? I certainly, uh, a I, lot. I certainly understand it a lot better now that Mark has yes. unraveled. Oh, good. Absolutely. I so, should have added we'll be, and then I will immediately yes. drop. I know we're up against it. But every regional center is offering SDP orientations monthly now. Strong, like, you got to go to an orientation. Like, first of all, you need to go to an orientation. I should have mentioned that. But I think based on our discussion right now, you should go to an orientation. Everyone should. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to encourage people to bookmark the website that Mark created with Kathy Gott, uh, www.thecaspdnetwork.org. It, um, it, it is in the... Um, for all of you. So uh, thank you. This was so um, edifying thank is you, the word I want to say. Uh, we thank oh, you for thank being you here. Both. We're going to have to have you back as, yes. it, as it comes online. I think we okay. definitely will have, okay. to have you back. Well, thanks back. for all the great work you two do. This is incredible. And I'm thank super you, honored. Thank, thank you. you. You have a good weekend. All right. You too. 
Thanks again. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Uh, and uh, Nancy, we're, we're past time. Um, I just want to tell, I just want to tell people that next week we have a very special lineup. Um, on Monday, we're going to be showing one of our best of Temple Grandin interviews on Tuesday. We have Matt uh, and Nava Paskowitz-Asner going to be joining us to talk about the Celebrity at Asner Poker Tournament that's happening next Saturday, a week from tomorrow, that you guys can be watching to watch stars like Rosie O'Donnell and Brad Garrett and uh, Mia Sorvino. And I mean, the list is endless of the people who are going to be playing poker. It's a little bit different. Um, this year it is online, but it's vastly different than it was last year. You're really going to get to see the people play poker. Um, so it's super fun and it's all to raise money for special needs for kids to have scholarships for camps, to be able to get, do art classes. Um, so it, they've been essential in COVID giving free classes to individuals all over the world. I, I really want you to feel the support of these celebrities because it's so great to see them raising money for our kids, but also I want us to help promote it so that they do raise a lot of money because it's right. useful. There's a lot of programs. Wyatt's going to camp at Ed Asner this summer. And and Jem is going to be a counselor. So right. I'm excited that they're going to be there together. Okay. Uh, that's so fun. And I'll see you at drop off. Right. And uh, <laughs> that'll be probably more than I've seen you in a while, Nancy. But I also want to let you guys know that next week on Wednesday, we have Dr. Doreen for Ask Dr. Doreen. And then we're going to be starting um, a series of episodes of Best Of because I, we're not going to be here next Friday um, because I'm taking time off for Jem graduating from high school. Uh, but we'll be back the following Wednesday with Ask Dr. Doreen. So that's what next week is. Big shows next week. Make sure that you're here, especially Tuesday and Wednesday. It's the only days that will actually be live next week. Um, but Nancy, I, I will catch you two weeks later when we, two weeks from today, we're having Vince Redman on the show okay. uh, to answer questions and, and talk about topics having to do with our kiddos and our lives because he's a licensed marriage and family therapist. Right. So we will catch up with you then, but thank you, Nancy, for being here and you, uh, make sure that you, you stick around on Monday. But until then, give your kiddos a hug from me. And give yourselves a hug from me. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>